So it's precious time. I think one of the things that makes these uh, occasions uh, precious and really to make use of it, there really is not a lot of obligation. Uh, you know, I mean, there's certain routines that, yeah, precepts, but you don't really have to be somebody. You know, that's a kind of relief in a way. Um, you can take off your social outfit, your social identity, your, uh, and that's a relief. Because then you just let it be how it is. <laughs> yeah. And most pertinently, this is to do with the uh, uh, qualities of uh, heart, mind, even body. So, there's a sense it's safe, it's okay, it's not blamed, censured, disapproved or sniggered at. It's how it is, it's how it is. And that's an immense... And really you can't do that on your own, exactly. You can, but it's really helpful when you're in a group, which is just allowing you to be how it is in your own space. You know? Because it's in the group that we get the opposite. In the socialization process, we get the, the shaping you know, into being interesting, uh, useful, um, whatever, you know, effective, um, cheerful, On the ball, he can be miserable, and it's fine. It's kind of that, uh, well, it's not fine, but it's, it's, sometimes it's like that. You're traveling into these territories, territories of the heart. And just during this process, and what I've personally appreciate so much about these retreats, particularly the longer ones, where people do have a chance to really, you know, unpack. There's a sense of tremendous admiration for the endeavor and the willingness to do just that and to stay with it. Stay with that bearing process. So I find it incredibly... uh, inspiring not in a kind of fizzy way but in a sense of the authenticity and the persistence and the honesty is is really so um, food for the heart in a world of such sometimes tacky manufactured presentations (laughs) actually with real beings reality, externally, internally, all fits together. And so I'm sure in this time, as we hear in the interviews and so on, the territory, your territory opens up, your personal territory, and sometimes it's obvious Features like uh, domestic situations, personal history. Sometimes it's stomach features, places where you get you get a lot of joy or strange um, somatic effects, tensions, and so forth. And, you know, strong mindfulness or discernment. The territory of liberation and suffering. That's the world we move across. And as we enter this world, the process whereby your 
your driving forward is quietened. Because there's no deadline, there's no target. Even getting your attention to be more open. The whole gesture of the retreat is to let the jitta form a circle rather than an arrow. And that you place that sensitivity over what you're experiencing, however mundane, embarrassing, esoteric that is. It's all grist for the mill because it's all part of the territory. It's not coming from the retreat center, it's coming from your process, your sustaining that is sati an effort to sustain that focus people always associate effort with this driving forward striving forward but actually it takes a lot of effort to stay open a subtle careful effort investigation where am I blurring where am I closing down where am I getting obsessive pulling out stay keeping that sense of the circularity of the chitta the openness of it in mind maybe these words are mysterious circle, circle okay well you know what are we encouraging in this descent into the territory it is a descent through the satipatthana starting with the body feeling, chitta, dhammas. And we just spend a lot of time, at least half the retreat, and ongoing in establishing body. I mean, why does it take so long to establish a body? Everybody's got a body. It's not subtle. Well, to feel the entire body, whole body, You know, rather than a particular detail or a point, but spreading your awareness to get a sense of the entire boundary of the body as a single sense organ, which it is. Skin. Because when you do that, you begin to recognize for a start it takes a bit of effort because you're normally in something else. You, you are kind of in your body, but you're maybe just in, a, in your face or your forehead, your hands. Uh, it's a very personal, personalized body. Um, closed in places, tense in places, absent in places it's missing and that personalized body that somatic impression is very strongly related to your chitta your heart your mind your awareness that which can be liberated that is also shaped in a personal way with its numb areas and its highly inflamed areas and its tense places and its imbalances. When you open the body, you start to draw the chitta open. And so, just first we're just actually practicing that in body and suggestion, breathing through the entire body. Okay, don't get too intense about trying to focus on your breath, but there is a body there, and vitality is moving through it. And if, if you find breathing is difficult, that's an, an amazing statement, isn't it? Since you've been doing it all your life, and it happens to be a matter of life and death, <laughs> and if it doesn't happen, you've finished... So, nothing wrong with breathing. 
surely, since it goes on even when you're asleep, it's the focus that's the problem. In which case, forget it. Get the focus right. And even coming to the whole body, the entire skin, boundary, you can only do that if you feel safe. Not embarrassed, not awkward, not held in. Not up in your head, not planning. So the need to find that place where you can just open it out, you know. And when we're in a situation such as this, is that possibility. And you realize also just how sensitive it is. Somebody looks at you and the whole thing can close down with one glance. If you're looked at. Wow, that was quick. (laughs) One word. It shuts down. That's how sensitive it is. I've known situations where people could barely manage to be in a room with other people. Because just the sense of other people triggered so much alarm and anxiety. And it could, that's how sensitive it is. That's how... That's not the bones of meat. That's the, an intelligence in the body that knows rejection, fear, ostracism, blame, and so forth. When you open the body, moving against those boundaries that have been established through the chitta's impression. Chitta and the body very much in sympathy. So when we've heard harsh words, we've associated particularly gestures, signs, shapes, movements with threat or unwelcome, Chitta picks that up so quick you can't even can't even count it, you can't even measure it. And the body immediately goes to the body. So just kind of opening it is really does take not hard work in some kind of grinding way, but the work of massaging and <laughs> comforting and steadying and acknowledging and inquiring and, you know, and it's a work of love. It's hard work to stay open in situations where much much of our lives we rather closed. And of course, when you're in your territory, all the memories, the perceptions, the impressions, that causes that personal shape to occur come up. Do I make sense? So the chitta retains, you know, it's, it's just that, you could say, sensitive awareness. Call it heart, but uh, sometimes the word doesn't quite fit. It, heart perhaps is too heart too emotionally attuned but uh, it's sensitive awareness naturally and it senses welcome, not welcome pressure, obligation and so forth and so forth love and joy and so forth It, it senses it and it quivers and in in our socialization process, under the pressure of degrees of praise and blame, shame and welcome, competition, neglect, uh, inferior, better, so forth, those patterns, those responses, you know, to retract or to expand or to strain or to become something, get established, and you get citta-sankara, are the patterns that the citta establishes as its response to being in this incarnate conditioned experience. So you get the personal 
personality is essentially a creation where the citta meets the world the personality gets formed to fit to make as best we can a fitting in a world and the world as we say is not geography it's our felt world world of gain and loss, praise and blame, shame, disgrace, joy, winning, succeeding, being loved, being not loved. And it fits into that. And naturally it's, it's seeking for what's the best I can make out of this <laughs> to get as solid and comfortable as possible. What's the best? That's the mission. And, uh, <laughs> right? And in some situations that means don't feel anything because you're not, you know, to to manifest an emotion is not appropriate, so don't have one. So you get these kind of messages also. Because the the movements of the chitta, which many of them are of an very emotive, uh, the whole social Predicament is one where that's not always welcome because emotions are, they're not organized. They're not effective. They're kind of a bit chaotic and get in the way at times. And okay, let's have a party. You can throw it out. Let's go and play football. You can play it out. Let's have a few drinks. You can work it out there. But between nine and five, you don't have them. <laughs> Or you can have a you know, love affair, or you can watch a horror movie, get all that emotional stuff worked out, and then okay, that's it. Back to back to the organisation. And so, human beings being profoundly organised beings, that experiences that go against the organisation tend to get you know shamed or looked down upon, or so forth. Uh, this is a very strong bias. So out of that biasing, you get the the personal heart with its no-go areas. And some emotions are really, you know, socially not (laughs) approved of rage, grief and fear. If these become paramount, you're definitely seen as a disorderly, chaotic person. So anything of that nature would tend to be you know, put away. Of course, it doesn't mean that it is really put away, it just means we don't go there or it's closed. And the way it gets closed is the, the heart ignores it, doesn't reach in, doesn't process that, and the body is brought in to hold it down. So you get a certain compressed bodily state. Now once you begin to open the body likelihood is these qualities begin to have a chance to move around and come out which can be rather upsetting or disappointing since we've got our target is Buddha who is really cool, calm, steady (laughs) on the ball, on top of it all never has a single troubling thought, troubling emotion that's your target, where are you at? You know, you're not doing very well are you? But I would say that the, the Buddha is the result of going through the territory. I don't think he started out like that. You know? So when you look in the suttas, he's saying when he's practicing before his enlightenment, the fear and the dread were so overwhelming in the jungle. I just had to keep going to just somehow manage the fear and dread. Uh, yeah. And then his awakening is a sort of recognizing or touching into the sense of safety. His father nearby, little boy, sitting under a tree, feeling safe. Ah, that's an emotional experience. So out of that, feeling gentle, supportive emotion, tuning into the body in that condition, finding the breathing when the body is that sense of trust and comfort and safety, 
body senses it, breathing comes to the fore. And then experiences qualities like joy and ease and rapture, which definitely, you know, they're emotional. Yeah. But we come from the kind of personal emotional condition through the process into something like the the Dhamma emotion, which could be joy, loving kindness, compassion. Even equanimity is a profound sympathetic awareness that that doesn't turn away from anything. And in fact, of course, the Buddha's own teaching um, program or vocation was based upon a quality called anukampa, which means sympathy or empathy. There was a heartful resonance. It means, the word means to tremble in the presence of, to resonate. So definitely not a shut down being. (laughs) But having come through, and we look in the Suttas, they didn't seem to have a problem in those days with emotion. There's, you know, people be, um, you know, you see the descriptions. One is anguished, one beats one's breast, laments and weeps. <laughs> I don't just say, I had a bad day. They blow, they, <laughs> they let it out. <laughs> I think in a less organized society, the emotions just, they just happen. They get angry, they get fearful, they get devotional, of course. Tremendous amount of devotional energy you can see being expressed in the suit as people falling on their knees and weeping to see the Buddha, they're so happy. So it's a really pretty loose packet. <laughs> Emotional can swing out, that was okay. Yeah. But we live in perhaps more organized, more constrained. And a certain ethos, I think it's the, the work thing, that particularly looks down on emotions being really not effective for the workplace. Yeah. So shut up, get on with it. <laughs> Gets in the way of the rational faculties. We don't want that. Getting in the way of rational faculties. And I think some of this persuasion has, has so percolated in our culture that you see, even in the translations, chitta is translated as mind, mind states, and I think mind state. Uh-huh. Well, when it says the chitta affected by lust, I would call that, I wouldn't call it a mind state. I feel that I, when that happens, it's kind of flushing flare. It's a, it's a heart state. Which <laughs> is affected by hatred. It's not a cognitive process. It's a, it's a passion. And that's heart. That's the area that one enters with knowing, bare knowing. Mindfulness. And to really emphasize this, you know, our territory, as suggested, is these called the residues or the residual of the substrate, upadi. And that's explained as the five aggregates, which can get jargon heavy. But with jitta, Heart organizes reality in terms of this form. It's definitely, I occupy a form, I'm in something. I'm in a something. There's a form here. You know, I'm in a something. And to stand, even in jhana, one's in a rupa of some kind. It's a big rupa. It's a very nice rupa, but you're in a something. You know, you're in a something. A certain form. It organizes reality in terms of form. It organizes reality in terms of um, sense data, sights, sounds, touches, consciousness. And it organizes reality in terms of feeling, one is triggered. Perception, one gets an impression, one establishes a meaning, 
that means that. That's an apple. That's a car. Uh, that's an enemy. You know, that's accusation. That's a threatening gesture. That's a loving smile. Perception. Quick photograph, and you build them up over a lifetime. Organize because without that, it's chaotic. So we establish a realm of perceptions, and we carry them around as perception of my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, my employer, my so forth. There they are, stacked up. Perceptions of me. Very, quite a chameleon but probably having a particular set of flashcards that describe me. <laughs> Organise reality in terms of perceptions. That gives us a sense of meaning. Even if the meaning is kind of very subjective, very skewed, it gives us a sense of knowing you know, what, what the, the called naming reality, nama, and then there's activation, formulations, formative energies, impulses, do it. Gives us a sense of what to do. When this happens, you do this. This happens, you do that. This happens, you do this way. So you get this sankara formulation. So these make up the five aggregates. And this jitta unfolds these as a way of trying to handle being in this condition, incarnate experience. Mm. <laughs> and these aggregates take over the jitta. And one becomes obsessed with uh, perceptions. He wounded me. He left me. He will leave me. She doesn't like me. I'm not good enough. One becomes upset, overwhelmed with them. Yeah. Perceptions such as this. Perceptions of the future. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Perceptions of the past. Oh, the good old days. When can I get to the, you know, when can I get to the good perception? Perceptions of what I should be. Overwhelmed with these perceptions. Perceptions of, you know, what we would admire. Wish I was just totally cool and chilled and open and spacious, another perception. And these perceptions act as the, as the ground for the arising of sankharas, because they're felt, and they trigger, and we start going for it, and we start worrying about it, and we start chewing it over, and it eats us up. And uh, one of his more poignant, and the Buddha was certainly adroit at delivering poignant Images, he said, you are devoured by the candors. They chew you up. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and you think, yeah, my goodness, I'm getting eaten up with eaten up with remorse. I'm getting devoured by guilt. I'm getting chewed up by bitterness. <laughs> yeah. I'm on fire with longing. It's chewing me up. It's eating me up. The craving is eating me up. I can't bear it. You know? So these these aggregates which Chitta manifests in order to get some handle on this existence turn, when they're clung to, turn and start eating away and the heart, filling it. And you feel the emotional confusion, uh, anxiety, stress, and so on. And as we sense that, the perception, I'm a stressed person, I shouldn't be this way, more stress. I'm an emotionally weird person, I shouldn't be this way, more, more stress. Because everything that's felt as internal, intimate, subjective, myself, comes under the lens of that process 
establishes a perception. This is what you are. More sankharas arise. Don't be like this, be like something else. So it goes. And that's it's called <laughs> suffering. <laughs> In case you didn't know. <laughs> and it's a, the suffering, the sankata dukkha, the suffering that you could do without, you could clear. And that's entirely what the Buddha was teaching. And there it is in your in the territory. And this territory, you can't avoid it. You have to go through it. And the sense is that through the stilling of these sankharas, there can be the detachment from the, the bondage, the grip of the aggregates, this fashion no longer worked up about them, the abandonment of the, of the residue, abandonment of identification with perceptions, feelings, cessation of the sense of an identity, Nibbana. So that's, that's the track, you know, but you've got to go through it. Witnessing, holding, handling. And so and we say, this is powerful, poignant territory. Sometimes it's nothing much, you know, your emotional registers are not flickering on red, it's just kind of slightly rosy now and then, and it's a bit drab, and okay, not bad, you know, not, we're not all steamed up, but it can get pretty intense, and sometimes it, it cools down, we're just muddling along, kind of ho-hum, uh, and then whoom, something comes rolling up. Uh, uh, dependent on on the you know, on various factors like how much has not been processed and sometimes it's also the case that there's a disconnect from the emotional realm so you're kind of like a bit numbed out or the amount of drive we're putting into our so-called practice kind of overrides sensitivity to to you know residual emotions so you know we have the drive to realize and get meditating in order to get over that feeling of anxiety of not being adequate so i'm be a good meditator can be things like this no how to get away from myself it can be that nagging emotional feeling of inadequacy. So we're trying to get psyched up to get somewhere where you can feel we did a good retreat, chalk it up, you know. <laughs> and with the various certificate, stream entrance, very good. Jhana's very good. Mindfulness, very good. You know, meta could do better, but the poor can't. Because <laughs> trying to skip Eight grades in all of them is a bit of a workout. Yeah. So that sense of just putting down the arrow, the spear of, of intentionality, just, hmm, how is this? And this is the descent. And we come into through mindfulness of body. Where though it is said one is atapi, one is ardent, one is keen, one is enthusiastic, yeah. Sampajano, you're alert, you're attentive, you're really, you know, you're really looking into this stuff. Still you don't see a lot of drive forward. It's just, this opens, that opens, he sees this, this is the mind affected by hatred, mind affected by lust, this is the contracted mind, the distracted mind, the liberated mind. And all of it is just, one is aware of it. Well, yeah. (laughs) But what am I supposed to do? (laughs) You leave that up to sati. Sati established on right view, and when virtue is straight, right view is present, sensing, giving attention in that 
sympathetic way, finding these, there's a response that occurs. This is the territory of the heart. Well, chitta. It is intelligent. And we tend to reserve the word intelligent for purely cognitive brain functions. That's the word we call intelligent. It's intelligent, you've got a a great ability to uh, handle concepts and symbols and construct ideas and analyze and calculate your intelligent person. So we've reserved the word intelligent for this. And again, is a rather unfortunate bias of our brain-driven society, mind-driven society, cognitive-driven society. Because all that stuff is dealing with things as objectively. You analyze, you have physics, chemistry, mechanics, engineering, so forth. You get to understand that you know about them, you know how to handle them, but you don't feel them. (laughs) If you feel enthusiastic about trigonometry, that's great, but that does not, you know, that's helpful, but the main thing is to do the equations right. That's intelligent. And so a good amount of our being gets kind of shut down or disregarded. So we say, okay, what's the body intelligence? Well, body's very intelligent. Body knows how to walk. You try and figure it out with your brain, which muscles to move, which ligaments, how much pressure to apply. You don't need to think about it at all. And because you don't think about it, you don't think there's any intelligence. Till you, you sense a body being able to navigate over hard ground, rough ground, swamp, narrow, you know, and when it's in pain or, you know, actually the sensitivity of the skin, the muscles, how much weight to put down, you know, whether a floor is steady or not, you adjust, if you're on a rocking boat, the body will adjust to that. That's a pretty simple presentation of body intelligence. It's balancing sense, it's ability to, to, um, move through territory, through physical territory. And if you're in your body, you'll notice that your body your, your, your body will change its gait, its movements. If you're in the corridor, when it's smooth, if you're out in the forest, it's going to move slightly differently because it's navigating over uneven ground. Body intelligence is there. This is just one example of it. It reacts, it responds. And we come down to, I mean, you can talk about that a long time, but to be brief. And then emotional intelligence. Again, we tend to think emotion not intelligent, just a series of kind of reactions and uh, urges. And, <laughs> yeah. But the intelligence of sensitivity towards others, how much to advise, listen, sense, relate, relate to others, is a profound intelligence. It means intelligence means you receive something, something's processing it, something's responding to it. Something sensed, something is processed, there's a response. That's intelligence. Um, certainly emotional intelligence is valuable and unfortunately somewhat derelict in many cases in our society because of this bias against emotion. So emotions do become stupid because if you use them stupidly, that's what they become. But in our meditation practice, you're, you're beginning to get a sense of that, like how much, what attitude you have as you're focusing on your body. If you're demanding, harsh, 
yeah, or if you're casual, a sense of interested, heartfully interested, sensitive to. And that can change. When the hindrance is aroused, when there's kind of ill will, a sensitivity towards that, saying, okay, that has to be checked. There's no point in getting angry about it, upset about it, disgusted with it, flapping your arms around, beating your head. No, ill will has to be carefully handled, analysed, sensed, and the rawness of that calmed, listened to, soothed, relieved. You don't just cut it out. When you're feeling anger, upset, saying don't feel angry, don't feel upset, isn't going to work. So we listen into that, the perception. How is that? Uh And let it speak. The beauty of this is that if you let it speak without identifying with it or reacting to it, just adopt that listening sense, you realize that emotion has an energy to it. And that emotion energy is often tangled, uh, intense, jumpy. If you place sympathetic awareness allows that energy just to unfold and move on. This is very much what I recommend whatever else you do in terms of just curbing, so you're not acting upon these things, you're not closing them down, but you are actually fantasizing about proliferating around your ill will. You've got to do that pruning process to get back to the very sense of feeling negative or feeling passion or whatever it is and that sense of it in the heart is a normal experiences okay the guilt the grief okay so, so how is that and we create this safe space this safe sensitive space which is what the retreat is about in which these can be heard, not because you even want the information, but because in that you create an openness that allows the energy to come out of its convoluted, constricted state and expand into something rather more mysterious and brighter, clearer, easier. And so this this way the personal body, the personal emotional form, with its shapes, is gradually encouraged or allowed to open out into something rather transpersonal. There's sensitivity, there's awareness, there's that, but now it's not in this kind of convoluted or intense or unfulfilled personal state. As you recognize in, you know, we do. Obviously, none of us knew, know the Buddha, but you recognize in, you know, people who've practiced a lot, teachers and so forth, they're generally pretty nice, warm-hearted, spacious, allowing, forgiving, not given to rancor and spite, I hope. <laughs> if that's not a, that's what happens as you come out of the personal program, you get happier. Because the energy is not being used to, to, to keep staying stuck in these particular patterns. Yeah. And we come into, you know, transformative emotions. Humor is a transformative move of re- re- relief of emotional pressure. Sometimes weeping is a relief from that emotional pressure. So it can go either way. Mm. We're coming out into something that's still got that sensitivity, but now it's not constrained into these attached aggregate forms. Remember a story I was um, picked up some time ago. This this fellow worked, he was some kind of therapist or 
someone is, is I don't know what exactly the label is, but somebody's helping with people who've got emotional or psychological disorder of some kind. And there was an institute, people who were sectioned, I guess, locked up in this place, who were considered so emotionally unstable, psychologically disordered, they were not, you know, they just had to be somewhere looked after. And, you know, so and there's this one chap in there, one fellow in there called George, who would always sit on his own. He'd sit in a corner of his own, silently. And anybody come up to talk to them, he talked gobbledygook. He invented his language, complete gibberish. He just talked gibberish at them. And they go away. This is how he's been doing this for years. Just talk gibberish. So the doctor said, what's he doing? This guy. So he listens to this guy talking gibberish. And rather than trying to say, what's the matter with you? Or, you're not very well today, I think. He just listens. Okay. And he goes home and start, he starts practicing gibberish. <laughs> so next time he goes back to the institute, institution, goes down to see George, sits right next to George. George turns around and starts talking gibberish. Doctor turns back to him and starts talking gibberish back. And George goes, oh, lights up. <laughs> And then he gets really excited, he starts a whole lot of gibberish. So the doctor talks gibberish back. And there's this kind of silence, and George looks at him, oh. goes quiet. And then, okay, and the doctor goes away, comes again a few days later, comes back, talks gibberish to George, George talks gibberish back, this goes on. And then eventually George says, Doctor, why don't you talk sense? <laughs> Because it was the first time somebody spoken to him in his own language. <laughs> he came out of this state. And so they'd have conversations and they'd throw a bit of gibberish in just to keep it lively. And, then, and when they let him out, let this guy's George out, he'd still write letters and he'd always put some gibberish at the bottom of it as a kind of like friendly gesture. That's our special language. So, you know, and I imagine in that time, every time we see a doctor, they try to cure him, change him, analyze what's his problem. He's an object, he's a crazy guy. He's an object, I'm a doctor, you're a crazy guy. So every, every, every communication had that basic setup. And this other fellow had the idea, just like, just get to his level. No doctor, no patient, no crazy guy, no sane guy, just, just beings. Just get to his level, listen, and be with it. And that was the, that was the cure. That was the, that was the shift. Now, you don't have to tell me, but do you get any gibberish in your head? Or perhaps not verbal gibberish, emotional tangles, strange conflicted states you can't figure out. Sometimes you feel like kind of strange, strained glue or weird, heavy, slightly prickly, something missing, not, not this, or what's going on? And you're trying to look at it and think about it and what's the meaning of this and Analyze it. Just, just listen. How are you? How is it? So I generally approach, adopt, recommend this approach. Yeah. Yeah. Feel the feeling. Let it speak as it is. Doesn't have to make sense. And you just listen. Sympathetic awareness. And this is, of course, the jitters fundamental nature. So, we, so we're turning it in a way from its outgoing constructions of personhood and future and past and 
them and me and what I should be and all these constructions that get generated, right? There will be a future. I'm going to be this. I was that. That's the construction. And so we can can keep doing that. And then there's right and there's wrong and this is shouldn't be all that's constructed. Turning jitta away from those constructions to say just return to the simplicity of fundamental nature of the Buddha and Okampa, sympathetic awareness. You place that on to the feeling, the, the mood, the shift, wherever you can get it. If it's in your body, if it's got an emotional squeak to it, or if it's, you know, whatever it's doing. Okay, that. Widen. Okay. Doesn't have to have a result or a conclusion. Some things you never really understand what it was all about, but it begins to just evaporate, thin out. And it's where you drain the swamp of the acquisitions. This is testing, testing work, testing practice, unknown. We don't know who we are. Therefore, that emotional support, we are a devotion to the Dhamma, a devotion to the Buddha, a faith. The Buddha went this way too. That's an emotional support. We chant, resonate. We pick up, we enter the Brahma-vihara, with our gratitude, our care, our sense of compassion, our wish to support each other, our gladness and appreciation of those who have helped us. You establish these rich tones, emotional tones, to support the heart as it goes through this confusing territory of self. This will be for one's felt welfare and happiness. So let's take some time for you know what.